Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Thomas Tailgate Party. I am your host, Thomas Jackson, and we are on the penultimate episode of the HTP season 2022. So thanks for joining along yet again. We will be talking briefly about what just happened in the college football playoff semifinals, and then most of the episode will be looking ahead with our longtime guest and friend, Garrett Bulldog, our Georgia resident uh, speaker on on the pod who has been very gracious with his time over the last couple of years to talk about the dog's many successes. So thanks as always to Garrett for joining us. The schedule going forward, there's not much set in stone. I will release an episode probably late next week after the uh, Nationals title game wraps up to talk about what happens in Los Angeles on Monday night and just kind of looking at, as, at the season as a whole, um, talking about kind of like we did in the last Last thing with some winners and losers and who's trending which way and kind of what we know now after bowl season as opposed to, you know, beforehand when when we talked about everything after the regular season. So some interesting, you know, coach coach movement, possibly uh, a lot of chit chat about Harbaugh, um, maybe going to the NFL (laughs) feels a lot like last year when the same exact thing happened after Michigan lost their first playoff semifinal. Um, But yeah, that's another story for another day. So not to get too sidetracked here. We'll start, go right into the CFP semifinals. Uh, It was by far the best day of semifinals that we've ever had in college football history in the nine-year existence of the college football playoff, that is. The semifinals were notorious for being very lopsided. A lot of years, as we've talked about on the pod, uh, as you've heard elsewhere, I'm sure the gap between two to three was pretty huge. You know, there might've just been two elite teams like last year's a really good example. It was Bama, Georgia, and then everybody else. And this year that certainly was not the case, even though Georgia was a six point favorite and Michigan was a eight and a half point favorite, I believe not as big as say last year when Bama played Cincinnati or even Georgia played Michigan, but you know, a touchdown in college football, that's still a decently comfortable favorite, at least to win the game. Um, you know, obviously, we'll, we'll start with Michigan. So these games, they were very similar in their nature and style in that they were very high scoring from both teams. And one team got a big lead. Uh, it was the underdog in both situations. Uh, early in the game and held that lead really well throughout the majority of the game. Uh, Michigan and Georgia both had amazing comebacks. Georgia was obviously able to seal the deal and Michigan was not at the very end, but two absolutely thrilling games that college football fans really deserved after seeing so many stinker uh, semifinal games. And, you know, will the national championship game live up to the hype of these semifinal games? It's hard to believe that it will because these are some of the best games we've seen in a long time, considering the talent and the stakes and the emotion and everything. Um, but yeah, anyway, so TCU beat Michigan 51 to 45. The Horn Frogs led by 14 points in the first quarter, 18 points in the second quarter, 19 points late in the third, and then Michigan led a furious comeback uh, the last 15 plus minutes of the game. Michigan, okay, I'm not trying to take anything away from TCU at all. They absolutely deserve to be here. People such as myself have been doubting them the whole time, and 
it's going to sound like I'm discrediting them, but it really felt like looking, especially looking back at the stats after the game, it really felt like Michigan lost the game more than, I don't even want to say more than TCU won it, but Michigan definitely did a lot to shoot themselves in the foot in, in this ball game. They had more yards, fewer penalties, more time of possession than TCU. They made it inside the TCU five-yard line three times in the first three quarters and wound up with three total points from those three trips inside the five. So, you know, when and, and they had two pick sixes. So when you look at stuff like that, you feel like, okay, if they played the game 100 times, maybe Michigan wins, I don't know, 70 of them, 75 of those 100. Um, but this just wasn't their day. The ball wasn't bouncing in their direction. You know, of course, for every person saying, oh, well, Michigan should have capitalized inside the five-yard line, you know, then you can also argue, well, TCU just nutted up and they were bending and not breaking. And when it really mattered most, they cracked down. They got points off of the turnovers immediately. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I know I'm kind of tripping over my own words here. I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from TCU, but Michigan definitely, definitely a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of good opportunities that they were not able to take advantage of in this ball game. Um, there was a targeting call at the very, or, uh, well, a no call. It was waved off, I guess, is the right way to put it. When Michigan was trying to charge down the field, down six, touchdown, obviously got to have it. PAT wins the game. With under a minute left, Michigan still deep, deep in their own territory. It was fourth down. They came up short, but it looked a lot like targeting to me. And this is why, and I think most people agree with that. That's not, you know, it didn't seem very controversial in the sports bar. Um, everybody around me, Michigan fans and some people who didn't have any skin in the game, I think all thought it was going to be a targeting call, which would have been TCU player ejected, first down Michigan, 15-yard penalty, and give them life to uh, extend their season on to next Monday. But the referees waved it off after what I believe would have been called targeting in almost any other situation in college football. However, when you're giving a team another life, when it's a fourth quarter, less than a minute, and the trip to the championship is on the line, and you say they call the targeting and Michigan doesn't even win, that TCU player would have had to sit out the first half of the national championship game, and you just could not convince me. There's no amount of money in the world that would make me believe that this TCU or these referees did not consider the human element of that TCU player having to sit out the first half of the national championship game because of a penalty that happened a week and a half before with about 30 seconds left on the clock. There is just a human element in it that exists. And until we have robot referees, you'll never be able to take it out. So we've talked about this plenty of times before on the podcast, but this is why we need a targeting one and two. It was targeting, but does the guy deserve to get kicked out of the last... 30 seconds of that game and then missed 30 minutes of the biggest game of his life? Absolutely not. It wasn't that egregious of a hit, but it was targeting. There was, it didn't look like there was any bad intention, but it was targeting. So it should have been a first down Michigan, 15 yards, whatever, but let the Cats stay in the game and everybody just move on with their lives. But anyway... Everyone knows my feelings on that, so hopefully one day sooner or later we'll see the, the targeting calls get split up into a reasonable and less reasonable punishment. That's it. Congratulations to both TCU and Michigan on 
really fabulous seasons, no matter what happens on Monday. I mean, the fact that Michigan was able to make it back here after last season and all they lost and everything is really a testament to Coach Harbaugh and the program that he has built and established there in Ann Arbor. And, you know, I didn't think they would suck, but I didn't think they'd be here. And even though I'm sure they're disappointed getting upset in the Fiesta Bowl, that's a tough pill to swallow for a while. Trust me, I know. Um, but they've got a lot, a lot to look forward to going forward. And we'll, we'll talk more about Harbaugh next episode. That's getting a little, little weird, but anyway, moving on, we will talk more about TCU with Garrett moving on to Georgia, Ohio state in the Chick-fil-A bowl in Atlanta, Georgia. This one was going on new year's Eve evening after the Michigan game. And uh, here in Colorado, it was only about 10 o'clock when the game was ending. But that means in Atlanta, where all the Georgia fans were, and I believe Columbus, Ohio is in Eastern time, um, and all the fans in the stadium, that field goal was happening, I don't know precisely, but within like 30 seconds of the ball dropping on the East Coast. So a lot going on there. I'm sure there were some households with TV split TVs and half the family wanting to watch the game. The other half were just worried about the, the ball dropping and all the, all the madness kind of happened at once. Uh, um, so I can't, we didn't realize that at the time when we were watching, cause it was only 10 here and we had the game on, not the, you know, New York times square deal, but, uh, I'm sure that I, I would love to see some, some clips of bars or households where people were fighting over their remotes. Cause I bet, I bet there were some hostile scenes there at 1159 on the East coast. <laughs> anyway, um, like I said, these games were very similar in how they played out the underdog Ohio state leapt out to a seven-point lead in the first quarter, a 14-point lead in the second quarter, a 14-point lead at the end of the third quarter, and with about eight or nine minutes left, still held a two-possession, 11-point lead over the Dogs. Um, Ohio State... Okay, I'm recording this after I talked to Garrett so little time travel action going on but if I'm redundant I'm just going to give a quick recap of this game then me and him talk about it more in depth Um, but some points are worth hitting twice in the fourth quarter of this one so my apologies either way but Ohio State with about eight minutes left in the ball game had a 96 percent chance to win you know you look at the ESPN uh winning percentage tracker that you see so so much after games like this where it's just one team almost 100% the whole time and then just a nosedive then a nosedive back the other way then then back the other way as it ends up in Georgia's favor but 96% chance to win according to ESPN with about eight minutes left this is the time when Kirby called a timeout to prevent what would have been Ohio State fake field goal the next play Ohio State ended up having to punt the ball because Georgia caught them. And then Georgia, on the very next play, scored a 76-yard touchdown. First play of the drive, and really the rest is history. Garrett and I dive a lot deeper into this, but this was really the the catalyst for the dogs. That timeout that prevented Ohio State, because they would have converted the fake punt. And I talk about this more, sorry, in a couple minutes, but it's it's just... Really amazing, and it was a bang-bang play. Kirby just called the timeout right before Ohio State was able to get it off. But, um, yeah, anyway, you'll hear you'll hear about that with Garrett. And 
Stetson Bennett, he led three straight scoring drives to end the game. One of them was started at the very end of the third quarter, so they weren't necessarily all in the fourth. But on these three drives, he went 12 of 14 for 207 yards and two touchdowns, including a two-point conversion and field goal as well. His 190 yards in the fourth quarter are the most by any quarterback in the fourth quarter of a playoff game in its nine-year history. And despite all of this, Ohio State still had a chance to win at the end. Obviously, everybody will remember that shanked 50-yard field goal for a long time. As someone whose team has done that type of thing more times than I can really count at this point, and before Will Reichard, we had you know, the, the, the kicker heebie-jeebies for literally about a decade. I really feel for that kid um, and Ohio State fans even because I know that's, that's a really tough way to go out when your quarterback drives you down the field and you get your hopes up. Um, I mean, a hell of an impressing out, impressive outing by Ohio State after all they've been through the past month or so, after getting completely embarrassed For the second year in a row by Michigan on their home field, everybody wondering, calling for Ryan Day's job, you know, wondering what the future of the program is looking like, just total existential crisis mode. Um, But they came out, they were obviously fired the hell up over the, from everything they've heard over the past month and good for them for, you know, just not talk, doing a lot of talking and just coming out and just leaving it all out on the field. Um, I know a loss like this can take a while to to really have that feeling leave your gut, but it's 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 pretty brutal. But you know, they I think looking back once everything calms down a little bit this off season, they'll look back and be really proud of the performance they gave probably the national champions this year. CJ Stroud, worth noting, had probably the best game of his career. Um, I don't watch a ton of Ohio State in the regular season, but it's certainly the best game that I've seen him play myself. He completed 68% of his passes for 348 yards and four passing touchdowns. Uh, We saw him... As Kayshawn kind of mentioned, he hasn't really ever been much of a scrambler. We know that he can scramble because he did it when he was like the backup playing his freshman year. Um, but most notably, he he was able to use his legs against this Georgia front to buy them some extra space and yards when they needed to. But most notably, he had the big 27-yard rush on the final drive of the game with only about 37, 30 seconds left to get Ohio State into field goal range. After that, they... Um, They really stalled and didn't get much more, but he got them to around that 50-yard mark with that unbelievable scramble where everybody saw just what a hell of an athlete that he is. And uh, so hats off to him. I think he'll, you know, do very well in the league and just, just a couple of absolute thrillers. It was a treat to watch both of these games. Congratulations to all four of these teams on a hell of a season. And now we look forward to Monday. Um, I don't have much to say. I'm, I'll you know say it in the interview, but never thought that TCU would be here before this season. My pick was Alabama versus Ohio State. I think I had Georgia in the playoff, but didn't know if they would just be able to bounce back like they have with you know kind of the hangover effect that some teams get after winning your first one in a long time and all the defensive star power that they lost to the NFL. 
Sometimes there can be a drop-off, and that's totally normal, but Georgia's not normal. So they are going to be around for a while. And TCU, just an unbelievable job, no matter what happens on Monday night um, with Sonny Dykes and his first year at the program. I mean, just think about that for a second. But will we see them in years to come on a similar stage? I think that this is going to be a very attractive place to go. They're in one of the most advantageous recruiting locations that you could possibly be in Fort Worth, basically Dallas, Texas. And uh, they're hitting the transfer portal hard already. There are, I know of at least three guys, including uh, five-star recruit running back Trey Sanders from Alabama that are transferring to TCU this offseason. Trey Sanders was from Georgia, or I think he was from there. He was expected to sign there, ended up signing with Alabama. He's had just an unfortunate go with injuries on and off the field. Just a lot of bad luck for the kid. I really hope he does well at TCU, and I'm sure he will if he can just stay healthy. But, you know, now they have a guy that was being highly recruited after by Georgia and Alabama, and maybe he'll be starting. Maybe they'll get someone else that will be starting. So I think that they can absolutely stick around. You know, to become the next kind of Clemson, it's going to take more than just one playoff appearance or, you know, one playoff appearance in a New Year's Six. You got to do it for a while. But now at the portal, you never know, man. I mean, Sonny Dykes. Hey, easy. Sorry. Scout doesn't like that very much. She likes her dogs. Yeah, you like your dogs, Scout? Scout says dogs big. She doesn't like me complimenting TCU, I guess. But uh, anyway, (laughs) on that note, I guess I'll wrap it up and stop rambling. Scout wants me to come cuddle on the sofa, I think. But uh, yeah, my prediction is 38 to 24 Georgia. They will win their second consecutive national championship in SoFi Stadium on Monday night. Um, I just think it's going to be too much in the end for TCU to keep up with. With Georgia's defense, it's going to be nothing like TCU's seen all season. I've been saying this all season about TCU, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, I do think that they will be able to hang around in the first half, maybe for three quarters, but a lot of times with a team like Georgia, you see them, you know, maybe it'll be a one-score game at halftime, then all of a sudden late in the third, they get a score and a turnover and a score. And then it's like, how did they just get up by 24 points all of a sudden? I just went to the bathroom and they were just up by seven. But that's how it can go with a team with this talent. And I just, as much as I would love to see TCU give them a push late, um, I think if they can just keep it competitive for two or three quarters and just keep it a respectable final score, even if Georgia does kind of pull away, I think that'll be... Something that Horned Frog fans can can really hang their hat on. So here's to a great game. Thanks for a great season. We'll talk next week. And uh, oh, yeah, I, my sister told me to tell everybody to like and subscribe. I don't think I've ever done that before. So yeah, I guess or rate, rate and subscribe or whatever. Anyway, maybe we can get a hummus uh, sponsorship at the end of the season. But with all that being said, here is my man, Garrett Bulldog. Thanks, y'all. All right, we've got frequent guest, my friend Garrett Bulldog, Georgia Bulldogs fan, back on the show. Thanks for coming on, Garrett. He's just going to give us a little bit of insight into uh, the Georgia postseason, a little bit of a recap of the Ohio State crazy game, 
And uh, then we'll look forward to Monday night against TCU. So, Garrett, thanks for coming on. We'll get straight into it. Why don't you just tell us how it felt in the second half or the fourth quarter, like with a few minutes left when it wasn't looking too grim for the dogs? Because a lot of times y'all have been the ones with the big lead for a lot of the game. And, you know, we've seen plenty of SEC championships and games against Bama where that's been the case. And then at the very last second, the team comes back in the last minute and, and kind of grabs victory from the jaws of defeat. So what was it like being on the other side of that for you after being down, you know, touchdown multiple scores for basically the whole game? Yeah, man. Um, I definitely, I think through like, Really, the second quarter and the third quarter, it was pretty concerning because, like, felt like we were playing our B B minus game, and and credit to Ohio State too. I felt like they they had a really good game plan. I I felt like one thing that I wouldn't have expected was CJ Stroud was really scrambling really well, which took me back to some of those old Georgia Bama games where we where we lost it because we weren't able to contain him very well. Um, and so like he was scrambling, making some pretty, pretty great throws to Marvin Harrison. And um, overall, you know, we were getting our butts kicked. Um, I think even Kirby said it in the post game. And I thought that um, the, to be honest, the Marvin Harrison, um, injury where he got um, kind of hit to the head and had was in kind of concussion protocol. I thought that I thought that was a big difference maker because I do feel like our defense started to buckle down a little bit more. I felt like CJ Stroud didn't really have his even though he still had a Buka, um, he didn't have as many receivers um, to go to. And I feel like we were finally able to slow them down. But also, I think Stetson Bennett, um, really kind of stepped it up in the fourth quarter too. Um, obviously his, his stats, I think he was like 10 for 12 for like 190 in the fourth quarter alone with um, two touchdowns. So it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. I think another kind of key play that we had was, was the timeout um, to keep Ohio state from converting a fourth down um, where they were coming out in a fake punt formation on like a fourth in inches. And we Kirby smart called the timeout and, um, the next play, when we get the kick back, we had a uh, 78-yard touchdown throw to um, Arian Smith. So that was that was a really big kind of turning point because that was like we were down 11, and it ended up being an eight-point um, score right after that. So that really could have been like a you know 14 or 11 or you know a big swing in terms of momentum in terms of what we converted and what we were able to keep keep them from scoring, and then. Really, I thought we scored too soon um, uh, in in the fourth quarter with a minute left, but um, the uh, the kicker shanked it in the same end zone that um, Bama's kicker missed it in the 2017 national championship. So instead of uh, going <laughs> oh to overtime, oh, we we got lucky. <laughs> we got pretty lucky. So yeah, the Bama's fake... is finally starting to uh, pass back. The fake punt. That's a uh... That's an interesting topic to mention because, well, first of all, it was one of those bang, bang, timeout, snap plays. So the play kind of went on before the players really realized that it was a timeout being called um, because it was just so close to when he snapped the ball and like they would have gotten it had the play gone on. It wasn't one of those where the defense was just standing around and the offense kind of carried on. At least from what I recall, everybody was 
you know, in the moment and playing full speed. So a great call by Kirby there to recognize the fake was coming and call the timeout just in time to save it. And like you said, the next play was a touchdown that that flipped the game enormously. You know, Ohio State very easily could win this game if if it weren't for that one little thing. And that that's just when you watch these games, especially that are against two really high quality opponents and uh, they, they come down to the wire. A lot of times there's one play, whether it be a co- a play call or, a, you know, a coaching strategy thing like that, or just a spectacular play that maybe like a non skill position player makes that really does kind of change the course of the game that most people will forget about that timeout thing, you know, by next season and in years to come. And they'll just remember the, final drive and the field goal and everything but the more nuanced fans will look back at that game and say yeah everybody talks about the final drive by Stetson and the the missed field goal but you want to know what like what really kind of set us off you know to the reason we were able to have that final drive in the first place is because of that timeout call a few minutes before so I think that's that's an interesting point that you that you bring that up, but um, looking ahead to Monday now. So TCU, they had a pretty uncharacteristic game like Georgia did. Um, although TCU was in the lead the whole time, we've seen them time after time this season fight back from double digit uh, second half deficits and just be resilient as hell and you know knock off their opponents one week or the other and that's part of the reason why a lot of people like myself thought it's just a matter of time before they crack you know sure they lost to Kansas State but at that point they had already basically sealed the deal for the college football playoff but they uh they kind of had the opposite game Georgia did having the big lead the whole time and um So I thought that was interesting out of the TCU bunch, but what do you know about them? Um, how do you feel about the matchup? What do you like? What do you don't like? Just, just take the mic and go. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think coming off of both of those wins, um, I think TCU, I was, I was actually really impressed by just their ability to seem like, they were ready for the moment even more than Michigan. So I felt like just coming out of the gates, Michigan seemed emotionally driven than TCU. And I feel like TCU was able from a speed standpoint and a physicality standpoint, stand up to Michigan. And I was impressed actually by their coaching, their play calling. And I think just overall, they have always had kind of the underdog mentality this season. Like you were saying, just their ability to, will themselves into these um, wins and into a 12 and one season, but really they were expected to get beat by Michigan when they were finally tested. So I think I'm really impressed by kind of their coaching staff as well as, um, as well as their players overall. Um, I think defensively they've shown that they're to me, I think they're going to be our toughest test that we've played yet defensively, as far as where their secondary is at. I think, they might be comparable to Ohio state in terms of their, um, their interior line and um, their linebackers, but it's also a unique um, defense playing that they have a three, three, five scheme. 
Um, so I'm really curious to see how we attack them offensively, but I expect their um, secondary with more DBs on the field and their overall statistically, their DBs have done really well this season. So I honestly expect that to be a big test for us. And I think Stetson Bennett's going to need to play better in the sense that I'd be concerned if he were to like JJ McCarthy throw two picks. Um, I thought that was a big aspect of the Michigan TCU game. Um, and I also thought just TCU's ability to hunker down inside the red zone as well as on third down, I thought they did really well to limit Michigan's um, just limit Michigan's conversion into points. I thought Michigan really struggled in the red zone. Um, so I'm curious to see how how Georgia attacks TCU. I think um, takeaways from the Georgia Ohio State game are that really if Georgia played kind of their B minus game for for really the second and third quarter. What does it look like if Georgia finally puts an A game together? Um, and I that's that's really kind of the hope from a Georgia fan's perspective is that all right we didn't we didn't necessarily see Georgia's best, but there's there's opportunities to fix things. However, there were also a lot of injuries coming out of that Ohio State game, and I think also it's something where this is really only an eight nine day turnaround. So I feel like in terms of what can be improved upon. I don't know that it's just going to be a light switch in terms of Georgia coming out and being so much better. So I have concerns about um, Georgia's secondary against um, really Max Duggan and TCU's wideouts as well. Um, I'm forgetting. Do you know TCU's leading receiver? I'm forgetting his name. I Not off the top of my head. Okay. Well, their leading receiver, He's he's kind of expected to go number one in the draft. Um, and to me, I have, I have concerns about him. I think he really, um, parallels, um, it was, oh God, uh, I'm forgetting names now, but he really, um, kind of some of the Ohio state wide receivers. So I'm concerned about, yeah, concerned about that. Um, so I'll be really curious to see how we play. Um, similar to Ohio State, it sounds like they had a running back injury in that game. So I'm hoping we can limit their run game. But I expect Max Duggan to play a role in the run game and be just as evasive as C.J. Stroud. And I think really the game, um, the challenge with predicting this game to me is the fact that both teams have the ability to kind of fight their way back into the game. So I expect it to be um, something where it'll probably come down to turnovers and who can convert off of those turnovers. Cause even though Michigan picked off TCU twice, I don't think they converted off of their turnovers as well. So to me, it's, it's going to be who's kind of most efficient on offense and off of potential defensive turnovers or just getting off the field on third down. Yeah. That's a stat. Actually the points off of turnovers that I was just kind of brainstorming for the other part of the podcast in that TCU Michigan game. Cause if I'm not mistaken, TCU had two pick sixes in that game, right? Yep. And Michigan, even if they did have a couple of interceptions, that's still a 14 point swing. If you're not capitalizing. And I believe TCU stopped them in inside their uh, the one and the two yard line on different drives and i haven't done all you know all of my research yet for this so i'm kind of talking off the hip but yeah and quinnon johnson was the name of that of their leading receiver at least in in terms of yards just off of a quick search um but i think you're right i mean in these games 
And I, I was going to talk about this um, before in the earlier segment as well. But if you if you're playing a team of this caliber, whether it be any of the playoff teams, uh, you just can't, you know, even one turnover can swing the entire game. But you just can't, especially if it's turnover and points instantly, just, you know, the swing and momentum and energy that that brings is is really hard. It's one thing if you're playing someone from the middle of the pack of your conference, but if you're playing Georgia or, you know, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State, then it's almost, you know, a death sentence. And of course, you can overcome it like Michigan almost did. But it's like if you take those two pick sixes off the board, maybe limit to limit them to a couple of field goals. And, you know, maybe we're talking about an entirely different matchup here. Yeah. And I think um, another statistic to be be mindful of kind of in that efficiency a- area is Joel Klatt mentioned um, in all of the last college football match, college football playoff matchups, like 21 of 23 have come down to which team scored the most touchdowns in the red zone or tied for the most touchdowns in the red zone. So who's really not just kicking field goals, but turning those um, longer drives into touchdowns. And I think that's in in kind of the modern offense where we're seeing a lot more explosive plays um, and a lot out of the pass game. I feel like the te- the defenses that kind of bend but don't break have been successful in the playoff, um, as well as just the offenses that can kind of punch it in. I think really to the point that you were making, Michigan's inability to convert in the red zone and kind of convert some of those um, bigger momentum plays really kind of held them back. And, and that's where, yeah, it's going to be, to me, it's going to be an exciting game. I think, um, I think it's, it's hard to say, but I, I feel like um, really, really, yeah, it, to, to me, this one, as much as there is, so Georgia's a 13 point favorite and I, I kind of didn't really bring that up, but I think as much as we're a favorite in the game, I feel like this game could be, I want to say a little bit um, – I don't want to say more conservative from Georgia, but I think kind of to what we've been taking is really reinforcing mistake-free football. And I think that's something that um, Kirby Smart kind of got onto Stetson Bennett a lot in the um, Ohio State game about him kind of forcing things in the second quarter and the third quarter where Georgia was down and kind of trying to come back and struggling to defend Ohio State. And I think this – this game for Georgia offensively will be a lot more about kind of really being say balanced on offense. I think, I think we weren't as balanced as we could have been against Ohio state, though we had a few explosive run plays. I felt like we had kind of periods where we were running the ball successfully for six or seven plays in the row in a row, and then passing successfully for six or seven plays in a row and not necessarily kind of building drives that, kept the defense on their heels. And so I think with a really fast um, defense in um, in TCU, I think we're going to have to kind of keep them offset and keep the run game going kind of early but steadily throughout the game. Um, so I don't see Stetson Bennett maybe passing as many times. I think he had like 38 attempts in the game against Ohio State. I see it maybe more like 30 attempts and trying to get the run game a little bit more consistently involved throughout the whole game, just to really try and control the game more. Whereas I felt like we didn't have as much control 
and we were playing a little bit more on our heels in the Ohio State game. Yeah, I mean, when you get down <clears throat> multiple scores in the first half, I forget exactly what the score was when third quarter, then you don't really have the luxury of being as balanced as you might want to be because even though you don't want to hit the panic button too early, you can't just be running it, you know, three times and then punting and then rinse and repeat. You have to be passing the ball and pushing it yep. downfield. And, you know, that way at least the clock is stopping sometimes instead of a running play where it's almost guaranteed you're eating another 45 seconds off the clock every single time. So, yeah, I mean, just, just by not getting down big, you can, you can still, you know, kind of run your offense as you want it if you're down a little bit in the first half, but the deeper the game goes, the more you're just naturally going to tighten up the play calling and have to get more aggressive through the air. So if Georgia could at least just keep it, you know, within a, a one score game, if TCU does, does jump out early, then they could still, they could still do the ground and pound and be okay. But against Ohio state, it's like, well, damn, if they're going to keep scoring this fast, then we don't want to be drunk you know, eating up too much clock, even if it's early in the third quarter or anything like that. So it's kind of depends on the game flow, but it's an interesting philosophy or strategy to see how soon coaches kind of go away from what you assume their game plan might've been, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I think to that, um, one thing that uh, I kind of noticed about the Michigan game is they were really, their running game was a little more vanilla. They weren't kind of using the offensive line to their advantage in terms of like pulling guards and, and doing more plays or sweeps outside. I felt like they were really primarily running out of the shotgun um, running kind of uh, yeah. Plays where JJ had the chance to either, you know, hand it off or pass, but it kind of felt like they weren't able to get their run game going. So um, yeah, I'll be curious to see how, how kind of the first half play script goes um, for Georgia, but Overall, I expect a really good game. I expect um, Max Duggan, like defensively, I don't expect us to be able to, you know, limit TCU in the way that our defense has dominated in the regular season. And particularly with injuries to um, the defensive ends and Darnell Washington on offense, I feel like those are areas um, kind of for concern for Georgia. So defensively, I feel like it's just, can we, can we limit explosive plays and maybe force TCU to drive the ball down the field, not as quickly as Ohio state did. And can we possibly keep Max Duggan in the pocket? I know he's, he's bound to scramble for a few, few plays here or there, but if we're able to keep him maybe making explosive pass pass plays um, when he's scrambling and, and just try and uh, limit their offense and make them take longer drives, then I kind of trust our defense inside the red zone and in short yardage situations. Yeah, so we mentioned already that Georgia right now, DraftKings has them as a 12.5-point favorite, so 12.5, 13, depending on where you look. The over-under is 62.5, which is pretty high um for for a college game especially you know with a couple teams with defenses this good so how do you see final score total how do you see it all playing out in, in your eyes i'd say um to me best case scenario i think georgia wants to score kind of between 35 and 40 points i see it being like potentially um 35 or 38 for georgia 
And if we can hold TCU under 30, um, I think that would be, that would be, you know, kind of best case scenario for Georgia. And if I had to, if I had to pick, I think it's going to be kind of close. I think if we can control the game, kind of like I was saying, I feel like we can hold a lead, but just keep TCU far enough away, keep them, you know, when they get within seven, be able to get a field goal, be able to get a touchdown and, and keep it, you know, 14 or 10 points um, in our favor. And then maybe TCU gets a touchdown to make it, you know, I'd say my prediction would be 35, 28 dogs on top. Um, hoping that we can uh, pull one more out. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, one, one final takeaway that I'll be, I'll be curious to see. And I think again, um, to me, from the semifinals so far, I think really with the TCU game, I think I was really impressed with TCU's coaching staff and the way that they kind of stayed calm, cool, and collective. Whereas within the Georgia-Ohio State game, I felt like though Ryan Day called an amazing game and, and their team was ready, I felt like they were kind of emotional the whole game. And I think it was something where you saw kind of Kirby Smart being calm, cool, and collective. And that was something that I think really is kind of I remember being at the 2017 national championship and him running in the tunnel at halftime when we were up 10 0 and he was all hyped and getting the dogs hyped and you know the Nick Saban demeanor to me is is staying calm staying you know obviously getting upset every now and then but kind of knowing how long and how um, treacherous the game can be and I feel like Kirby's finally settling into being able to coach his best through a full game and so to me, that's where I, I have Georgia being able to close this one out in the fourth quarter um, and being able to hold hold the, hold off the hog. So, um, yeah, I got dogs 35-28. But to me, I, I definitely, you know, credit to TCU. I think they have a great story. I think Max Duggan's a great QB. But I think uh, Stetson Bennett is going down as uh, kind of the, the biggest Georgia legend in uh, <laughs> football history with two back-to-back Maddies. Yeah, man, that'll the the Stetson thing will never not not be entertaining. But that's that's a great point about <clears throat> Kirby and him just kind of maturing into his role. Which, you know, I mean, that's I I feel like that's just a natural progression that coaches have when you're young and fiery and you're taking everything personally. It's easy to lose your cool on the sidelines. But like, I mean, I'm sure Saban was like that, you know, a thousand years ago and he's still famous whenever he has one of his big blow ups every few games on the sidelines. But for the most part, I mean, the big thing is you don't see him sprinting in the tunnel and pumping his fists when we're up by 14 at halftime it's you never get too high and you never get too low and his big thing has always been telling players you know if they throw an interception or bust an assignment like hey that's all in the past now we have to look at the next play what what can we do now to make that go the best that it can so it's it's just the philosophy of just being that steady, steady presence on the sidelines when everyone else, the whole, you know, the other 80,000 people in the stadium are losing their minds. And uh, so it's, it's impressive to see Kirby take those steps and everything. And, you know, the, the winds have followed for sure. And Ryan day, who's normally cool as a cucumber, he was kind of losing it. I mean, you saw how much this meant to him after the, the Michigan game and everybody doubting them for a whole month. So, um, okay. My internet is now 
exciting okay i, I think we're good all right there, anyway so we'll, we'll wrap it up there but thanks for coming on the pod as always i really appreciate some insight it's been good to have a georgia insider the last couple years since y'all have been so good and everything so good luck to your team and dude, I-, <laughs> I hope we have a high scoring fun game on monday and SoFi. dude i was gonna yeah closing thoughts i think uh htp needs to sponsor the georgia bulldogs because since you started your podcast we've been uh we've been in the national Ch- championship twice and this could be the second year in a row we win it so yeah i think if, then, if then georgia wins i might cancel on. the podcast i was actually thinking about that before we got on this zoom it's not the <laughs> omen that I, that I wanted to have associated with it but it, it could be worse teams not i guess all. but oh okay last last thing <laughs> Uh, are the Georgia fans going to abide by this uh, no tailgating rule that SoFi Stadium has implemented? Did you see that? Sure, surely did, the Georgia saw- fans won't crack open a, a cold beer before the game, right? <laughs> they'll, 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 yeah, I just hope behave. they don't. I hope they don't all get arrested so they can actually make it <laughs> into the stadium, man. That's the thing. We need our crowd to turn out. I heard TCU sold all their like 20,000 tickets in the first few minutes. So I expect them to show out. But yeah, I, I saw like three year letterman. He had he's like a big kind of Georgia guy and he had posted um, kind of trying to do like some sort of proposal to Congress about this being a, uh, you know, a ta- like being a civil right to be able to tailgate at a football game. So uh, I definitely have some concerns about that, but I'm sure there will be, uh, you know, I think SoFi is like, what is it right near Compton? So I'm sure there will be uh, liquor stores where people can find their brown bags and hopefully uh, crack a few beers open. Yeah, it's down there in Inglewood and kind of yeah. kind of south central area of Los Angeles. But yeah, three year letterman is a hero of this podcast. We probably wouldn't even be here if it weren't for him. So I hope I hope they at least hook him up with a nice jail cell because whether Georgia wins or loses with the tailgate situation, he, he he's not going to have a long time being a free man in in the city of Angels, I don't think. So can't wait to follow his Twitter account on, on Monday night and the days leading up to it for sure. He got arrested in Indy last year, so. <laughs> yeah. so and probably after the Braves won the World Series as well. Anytime something that oh, good yeah. happens, oh, he just yeah. tweets out in advance, I'm going to jail tonight. There's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so should be a good one, man. I'll be excited, uh, excited to see the game. And yeah, hopefully the uh, dog fans are drunk and loud regardless. All right, brother. Well, take care and uh, we'll see what happens on Monday. Thanks, man. Bye. Appreciate it. Oops.